0: Uh, If you are new or visiting, my name is Nick, get the joy of being the lead pastor of this church and a joy to have you at church today. And if it is your first Sunday, you chose the right Sunday, because today we start a new series, a series called Compel. If you do have your Bibles or your smartphones handy, join me in Luke chapter 14. We're going to go through verse 12 to 24. While you're doing that, I'm going to pray for us that the Lord might speak to us in this time. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we praise you. For this opportunity of you having gathered us together, and as we look at this story, the story of a banquet, the story of a feast, Lord, would you help us feast on your word right now? Would you come and speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit? Be on mission even now amongst us in this room today. Help us see Jesus. Make him as big and as beautiful as he really is to us today. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people said together, amen. Well, as uh, Pat said, today we do kick off a new series. It's a short series, three weeks, and we are going to look at how we might be a people who can compel others to find hope in Jesus. And you'll see where we get that idea from in our story today. But it is a fitting series for us, particularly for our church Over the last few weeks, because as I've been reflecting on the events of the last month or so amongst you, uh, the most common feedback I have heard is that this has been the greatest opportunity I've ever had to share my faith. And so I hope that in God's providence, having this series come now might be a helpful asset or a helpful toolbox for you uh, for when it does uh, give you opportunities to share your faith if you are anything like me, and you find yourself with opportunities to share Jesus, sometimes in those moments, you in your head can think, "Hey, this is the moment. I'm, 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 this is it. It's here. It's it." And, and then, when actually you, you get a chance to speak about Jesus, you, you kind of feel like a teenage boy talking to a high school crush. It's like I, I, you just can't quite. I can't quite get it out. This this week, I heard that uh, sometimes when Hollywood Uh, films, big Hollywood films, uh, are released to the public. Uh, In the West, they have a certain title, and yet when they're released in China, they have to kind of translate the title, and the title can change a little bit. So I heard that the Dumb and Dumber was actually called in China, Two Stupid, Stupid People. (laughs) And apparently, Knocked Up, the movie, was called One Night, Big Belly. (laughs) And Guardians of the Galaxy was called Interplanetary Unusual Attacking Team. Doesn't, doesn't quite have the same ring to it. Uh, but sometimes when it comes to us sharing Jesus with our neighbors, with our family, with our friends, it's a little bit similar. Something, something gets lost in translation from coming up from our hearts because we, we so mean well. And yet it doesn't quite land as well as we might like, and it feels awkward and it affects how confidently we might feel we can. Share Jesus the next time, if at all. And so I hope that this short series, just these three weeks, might be helpful to you to destigmatize what it is to be a people who share Jesus. So we're going to look at three different passages. In the book of Luke, over the next three weeks. And today we're going to look at uh, a passage here that's going to point us to the posture that God has toward the world, and therefore the posture that we should have toward the world. Next week we're going to talk about when it comes time to actually speaking, how might we be doing that persuasively? And then in the third week, Pat is going to help us see how we can uh, show the plausibility of the Christian faith to our friends. And so you might have noticed there that it's uh, it's a preacher's type of series, posture, persuasion, and plausibility, the three Ps for the three weeks. So we're going to turn now to Luke chapter 14, to this story included in it. And we come to this story knowing, uh, by way of context, that, that Jesus here is at a dinner. He is having dinner, and we'll see that it was very common for Jesus to share meals with people when he was with us on earth and as we walk through, I'm going to point out along the way four ingredients for the posture that we should have toward the world when it comes to our mission and our engagement with it. And so Jesus is here at a dinner, uh, specifically it's a dinner on the weekend, on the Sabbath, at a Pharisee's house. A Pharisee was one of the religious elites of the time, and they were uh, gathering people together at their home, uh, specifically, we're told, because they wanted to, to trap Jesus. They wanted to watch how Jesus would behave and and what he would say to try to trap him and expose him as not who he really was. But if you know anything about Jesus, you know that he kind of lapped up those opportunities and particularly wanted to turn the screws, every opportunity he had, on the religious elites of the time. And he had a unique uh, ability to expose their hearts because he could see their hearts and show the contrast between their hearts and God's heart. And so here he is, dining with these religious elites and these fellow guests. And Luke tells us that he said this in, in verse 12. He said also to the man, Jesus said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. And so evidently, Jesus is there sitting amongst them in a a circle, I'm sure, lying on uh, the floor around the table. And he's looking around at the the demographics of the kind of people who are invited, perhaps the socioeconomic status, especially how far they are up on the the social totem pole in that culture. And he notices that everybody who is invited to this feast is actually there because they, in turn, could do the host a favor. That This isn't so much a moment of generosity as reciprocity. That this is really just people patting each other on the back over dinner. And so Jesus leans in to that reality. And he says in, in verse 13, But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, if you've been in uh, church circles for any amount of time, you've probably been the victim of uh, something that, that some of us call a Jesus juke. Anybody know what, what a Jesus juke is? You know, juke is when you, when you stiff arm somebody, you push them away from you. Perhaps you're talking with your friends at church about something, something jovial, just a bit of, bit of fun, small talk. You may be catching up on the Premier League results from this morning. Uh, maybe you're talking about season two of Ted Lasso. Maybe you're catching up on how you found stranger things or what's going on at the block, uh, anything like that. And, and you, you're having a laugh. You're having a good time. It's a, it's a bit of small talk. And then one single statement dropped in by one of the people in that circle suddenly pushes the conversation into a, a, spe- a serious and, and spiritual place. And so perhaps someone pops into the conversation, man, if, if only we spent all the time we, we, we do watching the block in prayer, how holy would we be? And everybody in the circle is kind of left looking at each other awkwardly like, this is true. But I feel very ashamed now for how unholy I am. It's, it's a Jesus juke. You, you, you pop in to the small talk, something that's really serious and just brings an air of of tension and seriousness to the conversation. So you can imagine the scene here. Because the Pharisees here, they they would have been jovial, I'm sure. They they particularly thrived off shaming people as not holy enough, not right enough, not pure enough. And here they're they're, they're cheesing and and, and cheersing and, and, and kind of like loving each other's company. Perhaps comparing their, their phylacteries, their little boxes that held notes of the Old Testament. And yet Jesus comes in, and Jesus can do it. It's in the name. He can give a Jesus juke. And he gives the prototypical Jesus juke, and, and you should, some of them would have choked on their bread, I'm sure. Because Jesus here, he's revealing the posture that God has, which is so different to the posture that, that you and I, that, that humanity, that these Pharisees particularly, were prone to have. I remember once when I uh, was a young man, graduated from university, uh, and I was trying to find a job. And I had the privilege of graduating university in 2008 during the, the height of the global financial crisis. And so I was applying for every job I could find and then kind of doing the thing where you follow up like, hey, hey, I realized my application wasn't successful. Anything you can do to help me improve? But next time I said, like, hey, it wasn't you. You were up against people who had PhDs and, and those kind of things. And, and I was getting very deflated. And I remember talking to someone at the church I was at at the time about this and they were trying to be encouraging. But this, this friend said to me, you know, Nick, you know, God helps those who help themselves, God helps those who help themselves. And we hear that phrase often, don't we? God helps those who help themselves. And upon hearing it often, we might think, hey, that that sounds catchy enough to perhaps be true. And we start to think, you know, where is that in the Bible? Maybe it's in the book of Second Opinions or the First Hesitations or or, or something. It sounds like it might have an air of, of, of truth to it. What Jesus is exposing here by bringing up this contrast is that our natural bent, the Pharisees' natural bent, is to look out for people who are going to add something to their life. Look out for people who are going to provide that step up in life. People who make us look good. People who make us feel confident. People who might do us a favor. Whereas God's posture toward the world is to gather to himself, into his dining room, as it were, The very people who can't help themselves. Those people who have nothing to offer. Nothing to give in return. And so God doesn't help those who help themselves so much as God finds and invites and welcomes and embraces those who know they can't do anything for themselves. And this is the beauty of the gospel. This is why we're here today, friends. This is the joy that we have in Jesus because the Bible reveals to us that that you and I are spiritually blind, lame, crippled. The book of Jeremiah tells us that all of us have turned from God, the fountain of living water, and we've cast out for ourselves toilet bowls of dirty water that make us sick and disfigured and spiritually ill. As Guy said last week, we, we take... Things and we make them our everything. And so, toward God, you and I have, have nothing to offer. We're stuck in our muck and in our mess. We have nothing to give, and yet, the good news is in response to that, in response to our spiritually injuring ourselves and paralyzing ourselves, in response to our being stuck, can't finding our way back to God in our own strength, God has come to us in Jesus. God has taken on flesh and run out to us in Jesus to reveal himself, to rule over his creation as the king, and to reconcile us back to God, our creator. And so Jesus here wants to wake his host up and their guests to the reality of God's posture toward the world. And it's so radically different to our natural bent. God leans in to the very people our world rejects. And when it comes to salvation, God invites in people who know that they're undeserving, who recognize our spiritual inability to come to Him. And so that means when it comes to mission and our posture toward the world, Jesus is telling us that it starts with humility. We need humility self-awareness about ourselves, that we are the ones who are most in need. We only get to have dinner with Jesus if we count ourselves amongst the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. God saves those who know they can't save themselves. And then our story goes on. Uh, Evidently, there's, there's a guest near to Jesus, being able to hear what Jesus says And this guest wants to one-up Jesus with his own Jesus Duke. And so he says in verse 15, Luke tells us that when one of those who reclined at table had heard him say these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And so it's as if this guy, in contrast to a posture of humility, he wants to show off his biblical bona fides because he's kind of hinting that he knows that in the Old Testament, particularly in a place like Isaiah 25, there is there a picture of this eternal feast where people would be welcomed in and enjoy rich food and well-aged wine together with God for all eternity. It's a picture of eternity, of heaven. And so this guy celebrates that he's going to be there. And this is just a layup for Jesus, because it provides him the perfect opportunity to talk about another dinner. And so in our story we're reading, we enter in. To another story. It's a little bit like the movie Inception. We're like two levels down now into the stories here. And so Jesus starts with a story in verse 16. Jesus says, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And the other said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I have to go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. See, in the first century, if someone was going to hold a party, then there would be two crucial moments of invitation. It's not, not too dissimilar to our own. Initially, we send out the Facebook invite. We send out the the invitation in the mail, perhaps. And we want the RSVPs because we want to get the RSVPs because by knowing how many people to expect, we know how much to cater. And so what's happened here is that that first invitation has gone out to these people. And these certain people must have replied to the master, oh, I'll be there totally. Count me in. I'm going to be there. And so that gave this master an indication of how much to cater for. But in the ancient world, they didn't so much have a set time for when the party would happen, when the banquet would happen. It happened when it was ready to happen, when the ingredients had been sourced, when it had been all well put together. And so now there comes this time where it's happening. And so the servant has to go out and tell the people who had already said yes, hey, now's the time, come on in. But we see that they've all got an excuse. One guy throws his wife under the bus, Another guy's busy with the oxen, managing a farm. And so let's notice what Jesus is doing here. It's very significant that he's saying this at the house, at the table of a Pharisee. It's very significant that it's in response to one of the other guests, presumably another religious leader, Has just celebrated how blessed they're going to be for eating the banquet in the eternal kingdom. Many of these guys explicitly shunned the poor, the lame, the blind, the crippled from the temple and from thinking that they themselves would be there on the final day. It's what Jesus is saying. He, he wants them to know that those religious leaders, that they have been invited, they have been compelled, they've been called to come to God for centuries. Prophet after prophet, biblical book after biblical book has been sent to these very religious leaders to come and find your dependency, to put your trust in God. Jesus is now here, and they're missing it. Their hearts are tied up in religious performance. They're busy looking impressive in front of their social networks. They're distracted, keeping up with their own systems of prestige and reputational capital, and they are going to miss the eternal feast. And so Jesus wants to tell them, Hey, you don't earn an invite. You shouldn't presume upon an invite. You aren't born into an invite. You can't see yourself as having deserved a place at the table. And just like them, you and I, we fall into the very same mindset. Because we can think that it's our church attendance, that it's our family lineage, that it's our having prayed a prayer way back when, we can think it's, it's these things that, that make our invitation, our, our RSVP, our salvation, locked in, regardless of how faithful we might be or, or what we feel about God now. I remember once, several years ago, Jules and I went on uh, a, a cruise, and we were, cruises are full of old people, particularly this one that we were at. It's, it's a great option if, if you want to stay, like, stay to the seat and eat a lot. It's also a great option if you're a Christian and you want to share about Jesus because he's stuck on a boat. People can't go anywhere. And so we had this opportunity where we struck up a friendship with an elderly uh, an older couple on the cruise. And after talking about Christianity for a time and sharing our faith and our uh, experience and and, and testimony, it got to this awkward point where we had to try to convince this elderly gentleman that he actually wasn't a Christian just because he was baptized as a baby. And he was having none of it. He would confess that he did not believe in Jesus He was not living it all in any way, distinctly Christian. But he for sure was a Christian because he was baptized as a child. Jesus is telling us through the negative example of these first century religious leaders, hey, you need to stay ready by staying dependent upon God. So the second ingredient for our mission is that we stay dependent upon God for our salvation. We don't presume upon it and move away to other things. No, the faith that saves us is a faith that stays with us. We must remain constantly dependent upon God's grace. We don't graduate from initially being humble and trusting in Jesus to then presuming upon that, but rather our salvation is always and only by faith in Jesus. God saves those who want Him. God saves those who know they need Him. God doesn't save those who presume upon Him. And one indicator on the dashboard of the temperature of our dependency upon God is what we are talking about over these three weeks, is our desire for other people to know Jesus. Our hope that people might join in that feast On the final day and be reconciled with God. 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon, he once said, Have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you're not saved yourself. Be sure of that. See, the Christian heart doesn't boast like this individual. Blessed are we because we are going to share in the kingdom of God. But rather, God bless those people by bringing them in to the feast. Bless all people by inviting them in to the feast. And This leads to what Jesus says next. Verse 21, back to the story. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. And then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to his servant, go out to the highways, the hedges, compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. And So regardless of the people who busied themselves and distracted themselves away from this master's feast, the master is set on his house being filled. And there is room for everybody. Regardless of how some people might have been hardened away from God, refusing to come, God wants whoever, wherever, anyone and everyone to come to his feast. And this really is the story of the whole Bible. We could sum up the whole story of the Bible in this picture here. Because from the very beginning of Genesis 3, when God makes that first promise that he is going to gather for himself A people in victory to crush the serpent. To Genesis 12, where he calls out Abraham. just This this random pagan dude wandering around the wilderness. Hey, you're going to be mine. And even though you can't have children through you, I'm going to make a family. It blesses the whole world. And all the way down to the end of Revelation, where we see it happen. People of all tribes, all nations, all tongues gathered around the throne. The whole story of Scripture, the whole story of human history that we are living in right now is God gathering to himself a people. And in Jesus' time, it starts with 12. And then it's 300. And then there's 3,000. And on and on, the the gospel goes to the point today where there's some 2.8 billion people who now trust in this Jesus because there's 2.8 people who have accepted the invitation to come and Dwell with God in his face. This is God's posture toward the world. that He wants as many people as possible to know him. This is God's mission in the world. And to connect the the story a little bit further, we should see ourselves as, as just like this servant of the master in this mission. That if you are a Christian, one of the main responsibilities of you being a Christian is that you might compel others to come in, to look to Jesus to respond to Jesus, to trust in Jesus. That's why we exist, why we're still here. We aren't beamed up when we trust in Jesus, but we're here to live lives. We're here to speak good news for those in our lives. And so the third marker of the posture that we're to have to the world is is this humility, this dependency. Thirdly, intentionality. We need to get on board with God's mission. Theologian Chris Wright once wrote this, he said, It's not so much the case that God has a mission for His church in the world, as that God has a church for His mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church, the church was made for mission. God's mission. And we have a great example of, of how this actually happens in the world. All it takes is seeing Jesus. If notice that everybody who saw the risen Jesus, essentially all of them became missionaries. Some of them in in formal ways, you had the the apostles. Others in more informal ways, welcoming the church into their home, teaching other people in the scriptures. One particular example is obviously uh, the Apostle Paul. After seeing the risen Jesus, this man who is out to attack and persecute and kill Christians, himself becomes a leader of the Christian movement. And God tells him there, after he's seen the risen Jesus, to stand up. Get on your feet, head out to the Gentiles. That is to, to all the people who weren't Jews. You are now a servant to them, to open their eyes. That I might, they might turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified, sanctified by faith in me. And so Paul wanted everyone to become a Christian. To the Jews, we're told that he thought, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved to the Gentiles, he said, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel so that those who have never been told of him will see, those who have never heard will understand. This is what God is doing in the world back then and even now today. This is what God is doing in our time and our place, to see our friends, our families, our colleagues and co-workers, our neighbors, people to love, people to show compassion to, people to show mercy to, people through all those things, our words and our witness, to compel them to consider Jesus. Of course we can't coerce, but it is our responsibility to try and convince. So being intentional means thinking about the people that that God has placed in your life and how you might best compel them to consider Jesus. Jesus. And there are different types of people in our life, naturally. I know in my own life, there's this family that I have that, that don't yet trust in Jesus. And you know, because they're family, it's, it's going to be a long-term, lots of opportunity over a long period of time, chance to tell them about Jesus. And so that shapes how I compel them. I know they're going to see my life. I know they're going to see how I parent. I know they're going to be able to have, uh, we're going to have opportunities to, to chat have kind of fireside chats where we can talk about deeper things. I see them regularly enough where there's not pressure upon any one single conversation, but I want to drip feed in the good news of Jesus. We also have relations at the other end of the spectrum that aren't so long-term. We bump into people at the supermarket. I know when I planted This church. I joined a basketball team, and some of you might remember me talking about my basketball team. We invited one of the guys from our basketball team. He came to us for a few weeks. He was somewhat compelled, and then he was compelled to leave. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. Our responsibility is to be intentional, to put the imitation out there. And so how are you being intentional in the relationships that God has put in your life? in all your spheres of influence in your life? In what ways can you be compelling people to consider Jesus? Finally, we should be particularly intentional because notice the final verse in our reading, verse 24, and it includes the final ingredient. The master says to the servant, I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet, And it reminds us that there is a day coming where the banquet will finally be ready. There is a day coming where, where, where we will finally be called to account. So we need to have a, a sense of urgency about us. There is coming a day where our current mode of existence is going to be wrapped up. The trumpet will sound. All people will be gathered before the throne. The marriage supper of the Lamb will come. And then our friends, our family, our colleagues, our our co-workers, people we rub shoulders with, all of us, are going to be either with Jesus or not forever. We want everyone to be there. God wants everyone to be there. Perhaps you've seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge. I love a good war movie. And Hacksaw Ridge, if you don't know, is a true story of a guy named Desmond Doss. He was a Seventh-day Adventist and he was also a pacifist. And yet he wanted to be a part of the army. And those two things don't normally gel or or go together. Uh, And so he... Didn't want to participate uh, by holding a gun, but wanted to find any other way that he could participate in helping his country. And so after some debate, Desmond was allowed to serve as an assistant medic in the U.S. Army. And his one job was really, probably the hardest job, to be in the line of fire with no sense of defense, but to help his countrymen who would be injured on the battlefield and bring them to safety where they could get treatment. And in the movie, Desmond's job gets increasingly harder and harder because the US, in the particular battle that he was involved in, were getting beaten back again and again. And there's a moment toward the end of the film where the crew have have lost. It's it's over. And yet, because so many of them are injured, the battlefield is scattered with his countrymen and he's scurrying around trying to rescue those who are injured before the enemy comes and finishes them off. And in this moment of of darkness, of of carnage, of devastation, here's Desmond, quickly looking for for anyone he can get, bringing them to the the ridge, Hacksaw Ridge, to bring them down to the U.S. camp to safety. And every time he, he rescues one person, he has this moment where he stills himself and he prays, God give me just one more. And sure enough, he he scurries around and he finds somebody. God, give me just one more. Now, of course, war naturally creates this this sense of of urgency. But in a sense, you and I are in in no lesser urgent a day. God's mission is a matter of life and death. And so don't let the uneventful feel of your days fool you. Don't let the relative peacefulness of our lives fool you. Don't, like these people we hear about in this story who, who refused the invitation when it finally came, don't let the, the busyness of life blind you from the importance of eternity. We live in an urgent moment. Paul says, today is the day of salvation. Seek the Lord while he may be found. That day will not last forever. And so all of us need somewhat of a Desmond Doss type of ministry. God, give me just one more. Just one more soul to compel to look to Jesus. One more person you made in your image that you love, that you desire that they might know you, that you long to see reconciled. Just one more brother or sister around the banquet table. So to do what we're called to do, through the example of Jesus, the story of Jesus, we need humility, we need dependency, we need intentionality, and we need urgency. This is God's posture toward the world, the posture that you and I are called to have toward the world that God has placed us in. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're sensing perhaps a a, a tugging on your own heart, a tap on your own shoulder. You're perhaps hearing that whisper from God himself. This invitation is also for you. This mission is also about you coming home, you coming to the banquet, you being at the dinner. Jesus is inviting all of us to come to him. He wants every person at his banquet. You should know that Jesus lived for you. Jesus died for you. And Jesus was raised to new life for you. There is nothing that you've done that has disqualified you because indeed there is nothing that you need to do that qualifies you. All we need to do is recognize and see ourselves in need of help and to reach out and take hold of Jesus. It's called repentance. And Jesus invites all of us to do that today, to accept his invitation. Maybe you're here and you're brand new to that idea. Maybe you're here and you've, you've, you've wandered from that idea. Whatever the case, I want you to know that you are invited. And so if you are someone who wants to take up that invitation yourself, let me encourage you to talk to the person next to you. Talk to the person who brought you along this morning. Talk to me. Talk to those of us who will be available at the end. Uh, We'd love to talk to you more about the good news of Jesus and how He wants you at His table at the end. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to respond in song. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank You that you have not left us to our own devices. You've not left us to our own busyness. Lord, you've come into the world to disrupt us, to lovingly, mercifully interrupt the lives that we've lived for ourselves and turn us toward you, invite us toward you. And so, Lord, I pray for each of us in this room. Lord, would you, Holy Spirit come upon us. I pray for everybody tuning in online right now. Lord, would your Holy Spirit come upon them, that we might be a people, that wherever we're at with you, We might say yes to your invitation this morning. We might want to be closer to you around the dining table this morning. We thank you that you have paid our debt for our sin, that you have offered us forgiveness, that you have adopted us into your family, that you've raised yourself to to new life to assure us that we're going to be with you forever. And So be with us now, I pray. Soften our hearts and help us say yes to you. Help us say yes to your mission in the world. Help us say yes to the responsibility you place upon us as being your servants, as being your missionaries in our lives. And so come and equip us with humility, knowing apart from you we can do nothing. Equip us from, with dependency, never moving past our need of your grace. Equip us with intentionality, Give us eyes to see the people that you've put in our lives, that we might compel them to consider you. And give us a sense of urgency, knowing today, today is the day of salvation. Bless us, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.